0: Welcome to Innovative Legal Leadership, the podcast where you'll hear from the world's most innovative general counsel and their leadership teams for their insights into the running of a Fortune 500 in-house legal department. The challenges, the wins, the roadblocks, the journey to date, and most importantly, what lies ahead. Let's get into the show. Hello, listeners. In today's episode, I've invited back Rishi Varma, Uh, Rishi is the General Counsel at HPE, Hewlett-Packard Enterprises. He was good enough to have been on uh, this podcast about 18 months ago, July 2021. So go back and have a listen, if you didn't hear that episode. We do a bit of an update of what's Rishi done in the last 18 months. And I've launched right in and say, how was it, Rishi, that your team, your in-house legal team scooped the Financial Times Innovative In-House Legal Team Awards, which they certainly did. So he talks about how they progressed on virtual reality, that the team there, uh, the legal team there, has um, made some great strides in using data, virtual reality, and really the way they innovate both to create more efficiencies internally as well as deliver services to the HP businesses. Richie talks about what's top of mind as well as some challenges around the future and opportunities too, including the ESG space for for general counsel. So it's a fantastic discussion, no surprises there. So in the usual fashion, sit back, chillax and enjoy the episode. Rishi Varma, welcome back to the show. It was about 18 months ago, I think, when I had you on in the first time. Yeah, it's
1: hard to believe.
0: <laughs> it, it, it is hard to believe. You haven't
1: changed. You haven't changed a bit.
0: Look, exactly as I did 18 months ago. Thanks very much. That's more important at this stage <laughs> of our lives, too. We want we want the least amount of change as we get a little older, too, Rishi. So, for the audience that wasn't lucky enough to hear the, the first episode... Just a kind of a recap on the Rishi Varma career arc to set the scene for us before we kind of we, we jump we jump right in.
1: I grew up in Lubbock, Texas, um, small West Texas town, but found my way to Georgetown both undergrad and law, and then started practicing in New York at a at a then mid-sized firm. I'm sure with all of the consolidation and, and mergers and acquisitions, it's a, a larger firm now. Practiced in New York for about eight years, um, and then moved to Houston and moved in-house and through a series of different companies, all all mostly oil and gas related, served as, at times, head of investor relations, general counsel, and my most prior to HP and HPE, I was the president of a subsea services oil uh, division of an oil and gas company. And then I've been now at Hewlett-Packard, Hewlett-Packard Enterprise uh, for 10 years. Um, for 10 years serving as the general counsel for the last five and
0: and clearly doing a great job and let me tell you why <laughs> so as you know rishi i was at the um in december i was at the financial times innovative right. um lawyers awards and and the hpe legal team i've got to say they scooped the awards your, your, your <laughs> team won Your team won the Most Innovative In-House Legal Team, as well as the In-House Legal Team Innovation in Sustainability and Responsible Mm. Business. So firstly, kudos to you and the team. Thank you. It's a team effort. Yeah, tell us about what those awards mean um, and and how you rallied the troops to to scoop them last year.
1: Very proud, very proud of the team overall, Um, not just because of the recognition, but The recognition is a validation of that. It's what we do: innovation. Whether that means learning to code and developing internal solutions to longstanding problems that frees up more of our legal professional time, or doing something completely cutting edge like using virtual reality, uh, we're always thinking about what we can do differently, what we can, how we can be better. And I think that's what makes us a good legal department: that we are never satisfied with this is how we do something today. It's, it's part of our DNA to be thinking about how we can do something better. And almost in a bit of a competitive framework, if one organization comes up with something very innovative, other groups within legal want to sort of emulate that, and it feeds off of itself. We have a worldwide innovation legal lab, Will, that pushes us forward. So they're a group of dedicated legal professionals um, who... Are very focused on the intersection between legal and technology, and they uh, drive us to you know through hackathons every year and other ways to foster ideas about how we can be better. And we've we've developed a number of new and innovative ways of both developing careers within the, the organization as well as thinking about how we how we deliver client service as a result. Really interesting. So, uh, tell me a little bit about
0: Will. What What is the makeup? Um, the skills. Have you got? Have you got lawyers in that team? You've got technologists. You've got a combination of both. Tell me about that.
1: We have a combination of both, and it's really a um, self-paced, self-driven organization. It started. We launched it um, three or four years ago, and we had um, one of my direct reports who happened to be very interested in that sort of how does technology accelerate what we do as lawyers and legal professionals. And he recruited people throughout the legal department that just had that same level of interest. There was no job description posting or criteria of you have to have this degree or X years of experience. It was what excites you about technology and what excites you about using it to free up how we do things. I mean, there are so many things that we've created along the way that have simply been about efficiency. Um, how do you manage a global subsidiary base of a thousand plus subsidiaries in a more efficient manner? How do you speed up the way we do tax related um, operating agreements? How do you automate certain pl- things that we know are going to be more routine every day? And so that's, that doesn't mean you have to have learned how to code in order to be part of Will. It means that there's a broad spectrum. And, and more recently, some of the things that have come out of that organization have been really focused on as an organization grows and you have that sort of natural tension between those who are earlier in their career and those who are um, more yep. established in their career, natural tension in terms of mobility across the organization, not actual tension amongst people. Yeah. Um, how do you make sure that those earlier career and yeah. level associates are getting the right levels of exposure, experience? What if some of them want to move faster than others? Um, We're a large company, but we shouldn't be strapped by the fact that we are too big for people to move quickly. And so a group of people created what we call our micro rotation portal. And it's basically we put into this portal any and all opportunities for assignments. They can be anywhere from two weeks to two months to a half a year to a full year. And every team member can look at that portal and say, I might be in the M&A team, but I've always wanted to learn more about um, our intellectual property group. Are there any such opportunities there? And you can look at what are those opportunities available? How long might they be? And then speak with your manager about whether or not you have the bandwidth to go do that. And what we found is that it it has opened up an opportunity portal for people to develop their careers a lot faster and in a much more impactful way, because they're they're doing real work, not can I go take this training or can I attend this CLE? They're actually doing the real work that's going to help drive the bottom line and help us win the right way. All fantastic initiatives. I can
0: imagine some GCs out there saying, oh my God, where do I actually, where do you start? There are um, yeah. so many opportunities, I think, for improvement or more efficiencies. You've got the You know, you've got the way you operate internally. You've got the way you deliver the service. Where do you start, and how do you how do you then also start fostering that kind of culture, which you've clearly fostered within the legal team of driving,
1: you
0: know, those efficiencies, delivering better. Take us through. What what what's your advice there?
1: So it, it first and foremost, it starts with what is it that you're trying to achieve? And, and the first thing that we are trying to achieve is we want to deliver excellent legal services. We are not a legal department if we can't be delivering best in class every day. And that culture is something that you have to foster from the very top all the way through the organization. We don't, you know, it, it, we don't say no to the client. We say, how, you know what are the solutions we can offer? Um, We fill in the white space when it needs to be filled in. We help the company accelerate. And all of that starts to develop a a culture within your department of excellence. Um, You want to be the best at what you're doing. And then part of that is then the recognition that to be the best means you you never stop. And you think about different ways of doing things, whether that's different ways of contract management or... Um, different ways of e-discovery. You're know, you always thinking about what are the things that we do today and where do we have opportunities to be better? So the culture mindset starts first with, I got to be excellent. Everybody on my team has to be excellent. We have to have the right high performing, high potential people that want to be excellent. And as you start to develop that, you then very quickly can pivot to, and how do we do that? Where are the areas of opportunity? Low-hanging fruit It doesn't always have to be technology-driven, but it's low-hanging fruit. Does that mean we just need to outsource certain more routine matters? Or should we be seconding um, lawyers? Should we be dealing with more fixed fee arrangements with our law firms? Things like that that you can just start to understand where are the areas that we can be better.
0: Anything you do in terms of incentivizing the team is there anything by way of recognition reward comp anything like that where it's really incentivizing the team to find those efficiencies deliver better
1: there are multiple layers of recognition but but as you can imagine being recognized and being appreciated for what you're doing is just as important and and timeliness of that not wait till the end of the year and at the end of the year evaluation say, good job, Jim, you did a really good job back in April. Um, but timeliness of that appreciation and recognition that it's it's really tied to how the company is performing. So for example, every quarter, um, one of the things we do in our all team member meetings is I, I recognize certain things that people have done that actually were referenced in our earnings. You know, If our CEO referenced a big win for our compute business I want to highlight the folks that worked on that from a legal perspective, because it starts to recognize what you do matters, not just within the legal community, but it matters to the company itself. We also have very traditional styles of recognition. So I mentioned hackathons. Um, We do a large one across a broader set of uh, teams, including our IT team, our cybersecurity team, and a few others. And it's kind of a shark tank approach to innovation. And every year, the winning team gets ten thousand dollars, and so wow. you can imagine that generates a lot of interest and a lot of a lot of participation. And um, you know, happy to say that we we and legal have won that award this most recent year. So, um, and we won it with an IT innovation of, of all things. Uh, Um, but but, so there's uh, the uh, traditional uh, realm of dollar of monetary
0: was the circumstances around that win
1: it was driven off of our uh, micro rotation portal and it was basically the idea that we could we could create what we what we offered was we could create little video vignettes for different tools and uh, technologies across the broader team so for example if you wanted to learn how to use virtual reality, but just weren't sure. You could go to this landing page, and you could see a two to three minute video on what are the things that you need to do and how can you do it. Um, but more tactfully, tactically, if you're like you're working on PowerPoint and you want better, you know, better branding and those kinds of things. So basically, we created a portal where people could learn more about how to do their job better today, and it was two to three minute video vignettes. But the idea that it was sort of available to everybody and you could quickly search through different categories. And, and come up with different ways to do things was obviously a winning idea.
0: Fantastic. You've touched on virtual reality. We talked about that last time. I think last time, um, and which was 18 months ago, Rishi, there was about, I think you mentioned, around about 100 VR sets. And, yeah. and you talked then about the impact it had on developing a culture of inclusivity. Talk about the last 18 months since that time. How has that yeah. developed? Well, anything surprising, anything new there
1: that's worth a call out? The surprise for me has been I've been so excited about it ever since we started it. So I'm always surprised when there's someone who's reluctant to use it. Yeah. Um, but that being said, yep. I think what we yep. we've done a lot in the last 18 months, one of which is we've learned. We always knew this wasn't going to be for every functionality, but yep. we also know that time in VR is a specific thing. You know, yeah. if you and I were to say, let's meet in virtual reality for four hours, I think both of us would come out of there with either headaches or, you know, yeah. whatever.
0: Exhausted. Um, so
1: <laughs> you want to limit the, yeah, you want to yeah. limit the exposure to maybe 45 minutes to an hour at most. Um, but we've done, you know, we've done more team meetings and, and keep in mind in, a, in an organization in an environment where post COVID there had been very little travel, many of us had not seen each other in three plus years. Yeah. And yeah, so yeah. the idea that we could get together you know, in virtual reality, but you could have more of that engagement has been really helpful. We've expanded the user interface, making it easier to get into our virtual reality rooms. And honestly, for those who are less excited, we're doing things like golf tournaments in VR or hosting portions of our all-employee meetings in VR so that you get a sense of, okay, I, I get it. It's kind of a fun tool, but let me ease my way into it. But but the thing that we're really focused on, um, you know, I mentioned our innovation and in sustainability award. One of the things we did with our VR was we recognized that when we do meetings in VR. So if I have a team meeting and I've got team members in Spain, in the UK, on the East Coast, on the West Coast, and in, in Texas, having everybody fly in to one spot for a meeting is a significant carbon footprint. Yeah, yeah. If we eliminated all of that and met had that meeting in virtual reality what we've done is we've partnered with a nonprofit and we've basically said let's take the savings the carbon footprint savings that we've made and let's utilize that and let's invest with this company and plant trees for example and so every time we have one of our virtual reality team meetings um, people are sort of logging what they're saving um, as a both recognition i mean this is a real life example it's recognition of the the carbon footprint impact of all the travel we do as companies, um, but also an idea that we are actively putting back into the environment what we're hoping to save as well. And so you know that's been a really good initiative over the last 18 months. And then aspirationally, we still have the idea that I want to be able to look at a contract in 3D. I want to be able to walk through it, play with different terms, m- move them you know, if I move a term from seven to five, does that change any other terms in the provision? What does the model look like? And we've been developing it internally, but it's it's taking longer than we thought, but it's yeah. because it's more complicated than we thought. But it's also been a very fun project in, in VR. So so that does actually
0: sound, uh, I had my um, brain spinning at 100 miles an hour thinking about the challenges around that. And, um, I hadn't thought about that kind of application for, for VR, but I was also thinking about when you're balancing now getting together in person um, versus, let's say, the savings mm-hmm. that you could generate and then donate if you do that virtually. How do you see that balance?
1: You know, we are still re-experiencing the connectivity of being in person, yeah. And yeah. nothing, nothing replaces the one plus one equals three when you sit together in a room, uh, for virtue of just, you can see each other's body language, you can readily answer questions and resolve issues. And there are things that come up in that discussion that don't, you know, they weren't on the agenda. So no one sort of says, well, we'll take that offline. It's no, we're here. You know, (laughs) I, I, I very much, I mean, if it were up to me, we would all be, my entire 280 plus team would be within one room's reach on a daily basis. That's obviously not tenable. But I very much value and have stressed, particularly this year as we're starting to ease up travel restrictions, uh, it's important that, uh, firstly, it's important that all of my team members get a chance to meet with their clients. And their their clients are global. And so some of them have had three years of support where they haven't met their actual clients face-to-face. So that's first and foremost. The second is their own teams. You know, I'm, I'm a much better team member when I feel like I'm that much more connected with everybody around me. So those face-to-faces. And then for me, selfishly, I'd love to be able to travel to see all of my uh, department globally as much as I can. Um, but it, when I think about the balance, I think about virtual reality as more of a trade-off between virtual reality and the two-dimensional Zoom meetings or, or the like. Um, I don't think of it as a, we're going to replace face-to-face meetings altogether. I wouldn't
0: want to do that. No, I agree. And the other thing, the other topic we talked about um, uh, last time, Rishi, was, was the importance of data and how focused um, the HPE legal team was on that. Talk about the last eighteen months. What stands out for you, and perhaps what's changed for you in relation to the way you use data to, you know, to, to drive efficiencies, to learn more, to, to do the in-house function uh, to perform that better?
1: I'll say, Jim, that one of the things we, we had started with a lot of data and a lot of metrics all the way back to, say, 2013, 2014. And so as a department, we had expanded the use of data over time. Or shall I say, we had expanded the availability of data. I'll get to use in a minute. But what we started to realize was, how many of those metrics are we actually using? what is it that we're measuring? And what are we getting out of that? And we, we did this, basically, we did this deconstruction exercise over six months as a leadership team. We looked at every metric that we've ever measured. And we looked at the utility of measuring that metric. And I'd say over the course of that exercise, we learned that we were using about 10% of the 150 plus metrics in place. It was basically, we had a lot of fancy charts that, that showed a lot of things, but not one of them was something that allowed us to proactively address an issue. They were all historically last quarter we did this last last two quarters we did X you know so we, we took a different approach this year. We said, what about how do we measure on a day to day basis, week to week, month to month so that we know actually what we can do within a quarter to course correct, and actually make sure we hit our targets. And so we adopted a different type of methodology, an OKR methodology of objectives and key results. And we said, we're going to forget metrics for a minute. We're going to just go to old school, substantive work. What are the key objectives we want to accomplish as a a legal team? And what are the key results that, that we're going to measure to achieve those objectives? And those embedded in that is underlying data and the u- ultimate way you measure that performance through that data through those key results but we learned a lot of things in that process you know historically we would have done a victory lap if we launched a training module and we would have said, you know we did what we could we launched a training module so the business knows what the trainings are And instead we said, well hang on why don't we actually measure the efficacy of that module? How many salespeople are using it? Has it improved the, or increased the volume of sales? Have we reduced the number of escalations? Let's actually look at what we're saying versus just putting it training in, in a portal and saying, now we've accomplished what we need to do. So our jobs have gotten harder because we're measuring ourselves more on the quarterly efforts to make sure that by the end of the year, we've actually moved the needle a little bit on a number of issues.
0: So, so, Rishi, we could talk about this topic for hours um, uh, as a business where we, we've just recently yeah. gone through the, the OKR process and identifying our key objectives and our key results. Also thinking about what are the metrics that we're looking at and there, you know, there, there are dozens, which ones actually matter, which ones are historical and which ones are the, actually the forward indicators so that you can see whether right. or not getting the warning signs as opposed to um, necessarily being un- inundated with stuff that you can't change and which actually isn't moving right. the needle. So I have to tell you, so I've, it's incredibly enlightening. It's difficult. Um, you've got yes. to sort through a lot to actually identify what matters. So just hearing you go through that journey uh, is a little bit comforting, actually, I have to say,
1: because it's hard. It's a journey that, that uh, we've had to change course a number of times because we've learned through the process. You know, you fail yeah. fast and you learn and you improve. Um, yep. But yeah, we've learned that some of the things we thought were really great key results were actually just initiatives and, yep. you know, hadn't yep. really made an impact on the objective we wanted.
0: Yeah. And, and certainly when you're when you're able to align the team in the organisation on the OKRs, the key results, and cascading down so that everybody knows the role that they play in their team plays and how it actually cascades back up to what the key objectives um, and the key results you're, you're measuring, that is alignment. That's powerful. Um, it's a constant struggle to really get that right. So, um Let's, let's look ahead a little bit. What are the top of mind challenges you see now for the legal industry over the next few years?
1: A number of them. <laughs> I think, and, and it's not unique to legal, but legal the legal industry will also have faced this challenge. But I think this idea of an office dynamic uh, will come to a head. You know, it's now three years since COVID first forced lockdowns in the US and uh, changed how we work together. If you think about early career associates who started then, I think they're coming to an inflection point in their own careers, sort of in that mid-level stage where the first portion of their career has been very much, my view, isolated in terms of how they have learned. Um, And so I think we're going to be seeing a little bit more, you know, stop romanticizing the idea of coming to an office, but either come in or, or, you know either say that people have to come in or figure something else out, but I do think that this is going to come to a head in terms of how we choose to interact, but also how early career associates in particular are developing in their careers. Yep. Um, so I think that's one. Uh,
0: a, any pr- think a, a, and on that one, any predictions? Any predictions, Rishi, as to how you think that um, might play out? It's a tough one, but what I, do you think?
1: I think that you may start to see... And and again, it's it's going to be very hard to do this without feeling draconian. But you may start to see uh, firms and companies say, you know, we expect you to come in at least three days a week. Yeah. Um. And and sort of slowly get to a point where that becomes if that becomes the norm, then it may be easier to sort of slip into four or something like yeah. that. But yeah. I just feel yeah. like we we may need that kind of bright line before people actively come in yeah. on a regular basis.
0: Yeah. Yeah,
1: uh, I think I think yeah. retention, yeah. you know, retention will continue to be a challenge. Uh, I think both law firms and legal departments are getting smarter about what matters to their teams. So I think that you'll probably see an expansion of uh, non-monetary benefits for for legal professionals. So what matters most around well-being and and other benefits and access to things, I think, may play a role in how how retentive um, yep. a firm or a company might be
0: issue across the entire legal industry, Um, such fantastic talent that I think the legal industry hasn't done a great job at all of retaining, nurturing, and there's a whole lot of reasons behind that, and the mental health issues that you see in the legal industry, Um, and again, a whole lot of issues as to to why that's the case. I, I, I think that is actually one of the most significant challenges. So I'm uh, I'm with you there because there's such an incredible talent pool. And I actually yeah. don't think the industry delivers to that talent, talent pool essentially what it deserves and what it's potentially yeah. capable of. And that's why we lose. I agree. I think the industry loses, loses out significantly.
1: I think that's right. And then the other two things I was thinking of, Jim, one is I think um, the ESG journey that globally yeah. we have been on has has continued to evolve. I think the legal industry is uniquely positioned to connect a lot of dots across a company in terms of where a company's um, environmental strategy plays with its overall strategy or its, you know, social issues, benefits, DEI, etc., and then obviously the governance around the company. So, I I think you may start to see more of the legal industry playing a, a stronger role in. A, helping companies kind of think about this from the outside in, but then internally thinking, you know, allowing the legal departments to be the leverage point for connecting a lot of the dots to make sure that companies have a, a concise and consistent level of, of a narrative of, of what their strategies are.
0: Couldn't agree more there, Rishi. And that is a consistent theme that I'm hearing, The general counsel has an opportunity Right now, and I think is perfectly placed to be not only just impactful, but to be the leader, okay, and harness the team from legal and beyond to drive the ESG agenda. And I've heard on a number of occasions, that's been the expectation from the corporate that it's going to be the general counsel that will drive that. That's a consistent theme, which I've heard time and time again.
1: Oh, I, I completely agree. Um, and I think the last issue, and again, these are just top of mind, but the last issue I yep. think is, you know, we are early early in the calendar of what, you know, seems to be sort of a, from a macroeconomic and geopolitical specific issues, a an, an uncertain environment. And I think anytime there's uncertainty, that creates a lot of legal opportunities, um, Capital markets, debt raises, shareholder activism, potential yep. for consolidation, M&A. Uh, I think it'll be another busy, busy year for legal departments, whether that's on crisis management or um, opportunity. But I think the the overall global dynamic is going to continue to continue to further this theme that, uh, you know, you need your lawyers.
0: Wrapping up with a couple of final questions, Rishi, what advice, what advice are you giving to those who are younger in their career? um about their career
1: yeah so i mean I, I i try to preach that career development takes time um you know don't be narrowly focused on what you think you know today as the end goal for what you want to be tomorrow Con- yeah. just continue to learn and develop your career based on a variety of experiences um, and see where they take you. I know that sounds easy to say from from my vantage point, but yeah. being a good leader, being a good general counsel, isn't about making sure you know everything, uh, but it's about making sure you know how to manage the people in situations such that you get the best out of each. And so that yeah. takes time in your career. It takes time and a lot of a lot of failing fast, learning, and improving. But the biggest thing I stress is is your career development takes time. And I've had a number of conversations with an early career associate who's maybe in in her second or third year who says, you know, I have this opportunity to be a GC of a startup and I think I'm going to take it. And, you know, it's hard not to pass up those kinds of opportunities, but the thing I stress is that you really, really need more time to know what you don't know and be well positioned for success in that role rather than a deer in headlights because you haven't seen a number of things that, that, that both you and that company will need.
0: Uh, oh, Rishi the young are so impatient aren't they? I tell you if only they had the benefit <laughs> of the wisdom that you and I have i think that advice <laughs> is, uh, 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 y- y- your
1: advice is sound spot- <laughs>
0: <laughs> but your advice is spot on we are typically in a rush where um when we're younger we're focused motivated we want to succeed um and and we don't I don't think um, you just don't appreciate the benefit of the experiences and what ultimately leadership is all about, and understanding that it's building those skills and those experiences to be able yeah. to great be a great leader. I, I agree with you entirely. It's not. It's certainly not about knowing everything. Not at all. It, it's about building the skills, the empathy, the curiosity. Um, uh, the Minimising the ego to, to be able to um, to be able to basically elevate those around you. One final question, Rishi, before we uh, wrap up: anything that's keeping you up at night now?
1: We kind of touched upon it a little bit in terms of the uncertainty in the environment, but just generally, I think about business resiliency. You know, we've learned. We've learned as a as a society we've learned to brace for impact uh, all too frequently, particularly when faced with global crises, whether it was COVID, the war in Ukraine, supply chain challenges, etc. Um, they're always hard to manage, and you've, you're never as prepared as you think you are. But I yep. do think about sort of what might be the next global issue, and how resilient are we to uh, weather that issue and and come out of it successfully. So. It is an, it's an unknown, hence it keeps yep. me awake at night. It's not something I can yep. solve for today. I'm pretty confident in, in the things that my team can solve for when faced with issues. This is one of those, we may not know what the issue is, and, and you can play both sides of something, but until it happens, um, you're never really sure.
0: I don't know if this summarises, but I'm, I certainly feel there's an, a stronger element of fragility. The world organisation is just a little more fragile, given what we've experienced in tw- in the last couple of years and the uncertainty of the economic environment that we're heading into. I think it all does create for a more fragile and uncertain future. And I think that's certainly a challenge for everyone, because that uncertainty, that fragility, makes uh certainly makes solutioning more challenging so agreed agreed rishi mama every bit as as interesting and as inspiring if not more than 18 months Uh. ago (laughs) thank you so much for 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 taking the time to join me
1: very welcome I, i really enjoyed the conversation jim thank you so much thank you listeners for tuning into the
0: show for more please subscribe to the show in your favourite podcast player. If you or someone you know would make a great guest on the show, please connect with me, Jim, the host of the show, via email, jim at pursuit, P-E-R-S-U-I-T dot com. We'd love to hear from you.